first time in franchise history. And the team and its fans can thank South Florida's favorite calendar for that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Wherever you are, you are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast for all things Inter-Miami, a podcast that has been listened to in 50-plus countries, and a podcast where the beautiful game collides with passion and analysis. Here, we provide you with all the latest news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much, much more on Inter-Miami via a group of seasoned South Florida-based reporters. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one of your usual co-hosts. And joining me this week is the dynamic duo of Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, and Andrea Yanes, a.k.a. Ajicita. No media game for us this week, but we did have an Inter-Miami match to attend, dive into, cover, the whole nine. So we will get to that in just a moment. But first, with the pleasantries, Jose, how are you doing today? Well, you know, I'm happy to be back. I think, you know, I missed one pot this year so so far. So um, I'm not happy about that, but I'm, I'm going to start a new streak. And I think we're going to get very, very far now because I, I really like the flow of the pot every week. You know, it's a long list of topics. We try to keep it under an hour. I don't think we did it last week, but we're going to try <laughs> it this week. Um, it's it's a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, it, it might not be that way for fans that casually look into Inter-Miami, but for diehard fans that are every day trying to look for information on Inter-Miami, I think it's a fun time to be a fan here in South Florida. So um, hopefully we're able to deliver this week one more time. It's an hour and 10 minutes that we're gunning for here. Okay, let's be clear. An hour and 10 minutes. Last week we blew by that because we spent a good portion sharing our uh, experiences, including your yoga experiences. No, not yoga. Meditation experiences uh, in the pregame of the media game. But we've already talked about that. So Andrea, Ajisita, how are you doing today? I'm glad to be back on the podcast. I'm ready for people to ask the question that they must be asking because <laughs> Inter Miami got the first win and Rommel Kyoto didn't score on them. So, people, this is progress. We're seeing progress, even though it's the first game we saw progress with this team because they got a win, they didn't get scored on by Kyoto, and they got three points. So, it's a good start for the season. I'm really excited to talk about the match, about what we saw, um, about the latest news of the team, and um, talk everything about what we can expect this week also because I'm going to come with other of my favorite topics, and it's going to be awesome. I think there's a certain Honduran in Drake Calendar's pocket. I don't know who it is. I don't know. Maybe you said the name. I don't, I don't know. But there's definitely a certain Honduran that uh, got owned by Drake Calendar. That got owned by Drake Calendar this weekend. This past weekend. Got owned. I was told in the press box by a certain somebody that Kyoto was going to score. And I was told repeatedly. I was told, oh, wait, there's 50 minutes. Remember what you said. Remember what you said. Or 60 minutes. Whatever whatever the, the mark was. And that goal never came. So maybe... 
the Honduran international. Maybe he's not a big fan of calendars. But South Florida surely is because Inter-Miami won on Saturday against CF Montreal. First time in franchise history, the South Florida side has won its season opener. Now, before we get into that, let's dive into what... Well, let's just quickly touch on some of the other topics we will dissect and discuss on this week's show. And that is Leonardo Campana's latest injury and his murky timetable for recovery. We'll, of course, dive into the game from this past weekend, the X's and O's, give our analysis, as well as preview the upcoming game, like Andrea just mentioned, against the Philadelphia Union. By the way, I hope you did not think I would forget. This show is called, in Spanish, Miami Total Football Radio. Let's get to it. All right, before we get to Inter-Miami season opening victory, let's touch on the news that came out an hour before kickoff. And that is that Leonardo Campana missed the game due to an injury that we were told was a left calf injury. Since that game on Saturday night at Drifting Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Inter-Miami has come out to say that he's being evaluated on a week to week basis. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. That and that they've said it's a left calf injury. Jose, what do you make of the news that Campana has suffered an injury and he suffered it right before the season opener, on the cusp of the season opener? And what do you make of the lack of transparency or the continued lack of transparency? from Inter-Miami regarding injuries? Yeah, well, you know, first thing I, I would say is that, you know, it's it's really unfortunate for Campano because, um, you know, obviously he's one of the top players in the team and um, a player that we expected big things from him. I think the three of us, or no, maybe just, I think Andrea called, uh, predicted the MVP to be Pizarro and, and we both predicted Campana. Uh, so expectations were very high. So uh, it's a long season, I know, but you know it's it's not a good start. So first off, I feel for the player, and um, and 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 I just I just I just think Inter Miami really needs Campana. So for the sake of the team, he needs to recover as quickly as possible. And uh, and then you know I, I think with that comes the situation where that forces Inter Miami to change tactically. Um, and and we asked uh, uh, Nico Stefanelli after the match, and he basically confirmed that yes, they needed to move some parts around to to make things work, which makes me think how important Campana really is at this point in the season when Joseph Martinez is not a hundred percent and he cannot lead for full ninety minutes at the top. So those are talking points within the talking point. And then you know what happened this afternoon with with the team coming out with with a statement that really doesn't help at all. I mean, that feels more like okay, we have to put out because we have a sponsor every week that we need to post something with their name on. And that's exactly what it felt like, right? Because um how much of an Close advantage it. is it? Yeah. Is that what it feels like or is that what it is? That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. So you know it's it's at this point I think no fan no Inter Miami fan um, feels okay with that information. You want to know more, 
And and the main goal when you when you put a, a statement out in regards to an injury, it, it's to bring information to your fans and let them know this is exactly what is happening with your player. And I don't think a single Inter-Miami player at this point knows when Campana is going to be back. And I think that's the biggest problem. No information out there. Is that competitive advantage to for Philadelphia Union knowing that Campana is not going to play? I mean, how big a deal can that be for Jim Curtin? They are one of the top teams in the league. They are not very concerned about Inter-Miami. They are concerned about Philadelphia Union. I think they have enough to win the game against Inter-Miami at this point. And, you know, just letting them know that Campana is not available, I don't think that's that, that big of a deal. And to be honest, like, they will find out regardless, okay? <laughs> they will find out regardless. To, to be fair to you, I asked you a few questions there, but I think that's the longest first statement you've made in this initial segment in the history of Miami Total Football Radio. I think so. But I agree with a lot of what you said there. Uh you know, it's, it's unfortunate for Jermaine, it's unfortunate for Campana that he suffered the injury, I believe, on Thursday. So two days before the season opener, and that ruled him out. Now, judging from his social media posts and the, the stuff he's been posting in recent days, and you can interpret it as it being directly linked to the injury, or you could chalk it up to being completely something else, or something else completely. But I'm going with him expressing how he's feeling. And based on what he has shared which has been more like, you know, let things happen as they as they as they occur, you know, everything will happen in the right timing, you know, things to that element. It sounds like he's going to be out a decent amount of time. I don't know if we're talking months or weeks or what, but it sounds like it's not going to be one or two weeks that he's going to be out. It sounds like he might be out longer than that. Now, we don't know because like you mentioned, Inter Miami put out a release, if you can call it that, on on Tuesday, which I agree with you, I think two things come into play there. One, they have a sponsor that they, you know, they have to make good on whatever agreement they had, which is Baptist Health. So here's the weekly injury report brought to you by Baptist Health. Uh, Campana has a left calf injury and he's being evaluated week to week. But there's no real substance there because we already knew he had a left calf injury. And the, the week by week thing is just a way to not give a actual timetable for his recovery which like the, the the training staff the medical staff has to have an idea of what they're expecting for him in terms of his recovery back they they have to know right that's their job now if they now inter miami doesn't want to share that well it's a continued pattern of you know being very close to the vest about injuries and and being i don't know if you want to call paranoid or, or what the word is there but definitely just not being transparent about the status of of leo campana uh, it's it's unfortunate, like you said, it's a big loss for for the team um, because it does impact their ability to play the four four two diamond, which they've said they want to play. Uh, they came out on a four two three one this weekend, so there's a there's a lot to unravel here, a lot to unpack. Uh, but I agree with you overall. Bad for the team, bad for Campana, and also just like come on, come on, come on, like let's 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 be a little bit more transparent here, Inter Miami. We know Campana's dealing with an injury. We know he's going to be out. It's not like we're not going to go to practice and not see him out there in training and report Campana's, you know, off to the side or Campana's in the gym or Campana's not in the group. It's not like we're not going to report that. And I think that's the second part, and, and I went away from it there. I think that's the second part of why we saw that release on Tuesday was because Tuesday there was availability for media. So media's obviously, we're going to see 
that Inter Miami is training without Campana. So, you know, they're going to be asked about it. So rather than just address it to the press, they address it with this press release that has really no, no details. So I think those are the two elements. Andrea. Listen, I knew Campana's injury was uh, something more than what they say. They say it on Saturday because when we talked with Pizarro after the game, he said, we're going to be, he said something in between the lines like, we're going to be missing Leo. So I told Jose in that moment, Campana is going to be out for more than two weeks because if he's saying that, it means they will have to play differently. They will have to look for another options. And it's really unfortunate that from that day until now, we only get this, as you guys have been saying. And it, listen, it's not something that is just about Campana because uh, Campana is one of the big players that they have and people are asking about that. But for example, with Ascona, we know that he has an injury and I have been asking for weeks because he has a World Cup to play and he's the captain of the team. And I've gotten just answers. Yes, he's going to be ready. Yes, it's it's a couple of weeks and it's already preseason is done. He got injured in the first Two games, preseason is done. We are already in the season, and I don't really know when he's coming back. When is he gonna be training again with the team? I don't know what is he doing with gym work and all of that. So it's the same situation, and it's unfortunate that it's always a pattern with the team. I wish it was better because we cannot talk in depth of what we can expect in on the football side, and we cannot talk in depth about what the player is dealing with or what the team is going to be dealing with in the coming weeks because we don't know. We don't know. So that's really unfortunate. So I want to be fair to Inter Miami here uh, in the sense that, look, part of the issue or the bigger part of the issue here is that MLS does not have a uniform rule. It does not have a rule for that that, uh, that every team has to follow in terms of reporting injuries. So as such, you know, there's really no obligation. Teams can just go about it however they decide to go about it in terms of revealing this information publicly. So there you go. To Inter Miami's credit, there's no rule that forces them or there's no no obligation from MLS saying, all right, all teams have to report injuries this way. So, you know, I, I can get Inter Miami's reluctance to overly share details when, you know, they might be up against opponents that don't share their details. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, every team wants to win as many of the little battles going into the game as possible, right? Like you want the upper hand in as many areas as yeah, possible. Yeah, it is an MLS. So I can get Inter Miami right. beat. I can get Inter Miami being reluctant to share those details. However, they are a professional sports organization, so they deal in the public realm, and with that should come a good level, a good layer of transparency, and that we have not gotten. Because again, Inter Miami wants to keep its cards close to the vest. It does not want to uh, overly share information because it doesn't want to give the opposition the upper hand in terms of their preparation, right? If they say Campana's out, outright, right? Let's say Inter Miami says, okay, Campana's out for a month. Well, then Philadelphia Union, New York City FC, and all the opponents for the next month will know that they don't have to game plan for Campana. Uh, but if, if Inter Miami leaves it unclear or murky, well then, you know, maybe the other team has to plan for him a little bit more or prepare just in case, especially if we, you know, we go to practice and we see him doing some ball work on the side or, you know, starting to partake in some some team drills. So I, I understand it from Inter-Miami's point of view in certain aspects, but I don't agree with it and I think it does need to be addressed because 
again, it's it's not going to be a secret that he's not going to play this weekend, right? It's like we'll be at practice on Thursday and we'll see that he's not training and we'll and we'll put it out there. And it's very hard if you're going from not training on Thursday to then playing on Saturday. And like, it's just it's just unnecessary. It's just unnecessary. I think I think we all understand why. Um, why they are not letting all the information out. I mean, that's 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 understandable. That's understandable. And I think that's not something that only happens with Inter Miami. That probably happens with several teams in MLS. To me, the situation here is that, you know, you put a statement out there and, um, you know, it, it's it's laughable that, you know, it's you only do it because because of your sponsor, the way you do it. So, you know, the the when you put a, an injury report out there, you know, you have to provide information because if not, then just let me know that the injury report is presented by Baptist health. And that's it. Don't give me anything else because that's exactly what happened right there. It's it's like two lines. So, um, right. we don't even know what type of, like, all we know it's a left calf injury. What, what kind yes. of injury is this? Does Campana have a, a calf tear? Like, and what, what is the injury? And there's no, and they know what the injury is, but they don't want of to course they share know. that injury because, again, then that will give people an idea for the severity of, and, of how long but he'll be out. Not there. only that, Franco, that happens with every player that is injured. We, we were told, I already told you about Ascona, we were told about Robbie Robinson that he was going to come back, and he's still injured. We don't know what is happening with Robbie Robinson, but it happens with every player that gets injured with an Inter-Miami shirt. And I understand that the league has has no rule, but they are professional teams. Listen, what are they going to They want to bring Messi. What are they going to do? They're gonna, they think they're going to employ these tactics when Messi gets injured when he's here? You have to be a little bit more professional, a little bit more serious. If the league doesn't have a rule, then you just not cannot be coasting, coasting it in and not telling people, media, fans, and everyone what is happening with your injured players. We don't know. And this is something that is not all, only about injuries. We don't get information. Look, Karen Gibbs, we were talking about it in the last podcast, and now he's just a commentator and we didn't we got it until he debuted it on Apple TV. Well, like, what we'll, is that? we'll get we'll get into that in a little bit later on because Inter Miami steered clear of using the word retirement uh, but it looks like Karen Gibbs is retired. But we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. Now with regards to on the field, with no campana does that mean the 442 diamond will not be used? What do you think? Jose? Um we didn't see it on Saturday. Yeah, we didn't see it on Saturday, but, you know, according to the information that was provided, which, you know, we take it with a grain of salt, of course, um, it, it seems like Campana got injured on Thursday. Thursday. Mm-hmm. Thursday. So I'm assuming they had a plan on and that changed on Thursday. I think they can go back to the diamond if they have a full week of training, I think they can do it. I think they can do it. It's a little bit risky if, if you know, if, if something changes at the end of the week. But I think they can go back to it. Not because the 4-2-3-1 didn't work, but because the Philadelphia Union is a different team than Montreal. Montreal was not good over the weekend. And I'm not going to take anything away from Inter-Miami, 
but they were not good. And I expect a better team from at a better performance from Philadelphia Union. And what that means to me this year, when a team that is very well established and that will give you a, a test this year, that means that Inter Miami needs to score to win that game. That's my analysis, which I, I've done throughout preseason and throughout listening to Phil throughout the last five weeks. They need to score to win. And for that, I think against Philadelphia Union, they have to play with two at the top because Joseph is not ready. So he's going to need some help. I don't think I don't think they can play 4-4-2 diamond right now. Right now. And not just because I think they lose a lot with Campana not being there, and I think he's an integral part to the 4-4-2 with the roster as it currently stands. But like you mentioned, Joseph Martinez is not 100%. And he doesn't look in the best form physically, you know, just doesn't look game shape. Robbie Robinson is out injured, at least this, this up until this weekend he was out injured. Not sure where he is in his return uh, or his recovery timetable. So now your forward options, if you're playing with two, you're pretty limited. You have a Mark Joseph Martinez who can't go 90. You have uh, Schneider Borgelin who is uh, uh, making his first, uh, Borgelin, who's playing in his first MLS season. You've got Jake Lacava, who's an, another youngster. And then maybe you could throw Corinton John in there, Coco. Lasseter. Lasseter, okay. Yeah, you could put Lasseter. But I, I just don't see with what they want to accomplish, with what how they want to play. I don't think it works without Campana in there over a Which, stretch of games. So I think that's why they, they went away from it. Because it would have been very easy for right. Phil Neville with Campana out on Thursday to be like, okay, next man up, same formation, Ariel Lasseter, you're in there. Or, you know, Coco Jean, you're in there and you play a different... It could have been very easy for him to make just one one change if he had been practicing all week in the 4-4-2 diamond. If that's what Phil Neville had been, you know, preparing the team for, it would have been very easy. That would have been the easiest switch to make. Just bring in another forward and have that per- that player try to, you know, fill the void left by Campana. But he didn't. He went away from it. And I think that's why I think we, will, we won't see the 4-4-2 diamond... Uh, unless Interrime starts dropping games or starts struggling and they can't score. I, like Unless we see that, I think we're going to see the 4-2-3-1 or, or different looks. I just don't think we'll see the 4-4-2 diamond uh, for now. Isn't that a little bit concerning that you're so... I mean, they are so reliable on Campana to play a formation. Um, at least until Joseph Martinez is back, you know, I, I think what you're saying makes sense. I think it makes sense, and I and I thought about that as well. But is there a chance of them of 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 Inter Miami going back to the diamond? I think there is, just because you have more time to work on and try to put the players in place where you want them. But it makes sense what you're saying, and to me, that's a little bit concerning, you know, because Campana, you know, even Phil mentioned during the press conference, he said we're going to be very cautious with him because of his history. So we all know what Campana has been going through. Well, Campana's injury last... prone, right? Campana's injury prone. He's, he's you know, yeah. it's, a, it's it's you know, it's a label that players don't want, like to have. But he is injury prone. He's had injury issues yeah. throughout this his early stages of his young career. He's had a lot of promise. He's last year he showed a lot in the time he was on the field. But even last year he had injury issues, and before that he had injury issues, which is what led to him in part landing here in South Florida. And now again, here at the start of the 2023 season, not long after he did an interview with us in which he was saying, you know, he's changed his his habits uh, in terms of training. And it's not necessarily about the quantity of training now. It's about the quality. And he's changed the way he eats and all these other things that he said he tried to uh, alter this offseason. 
to stay healthy in 2023, well, he suffered another injury. And, you know, bad luck yeah. does play a part in injuries, right? It's Sometimes the player can do everything right, and it's just, it's just misfortune. But he is, he is injury prone. I think the coaching staff as a whole, they need to find a way to get back to the diamond, even without Campana. They just need to find a way. Because that's, that, that's what they preached during the, during, the, during the entire preseason. That's the way they wanted to play. I th- and now you miss one player and then you have to go back to the 4-2-3-1. They need to find a way. This is my supposition, not information. So supposition, my sensation, not information. I think based on what they saw in preseason, I think that you know in the games that we were able to see, when it was not Campana and Martinez up top, Inter Miami struggled. Now we talked about the midfield and all that, but you know it, up top they just didn't have two natural strikers that are proven, experienced. I think when Campana Martinez played, as they did against the New England Revolution, a game we could not see, but a game in which Campana scored twice, we were able to see one of those goals thanks to Campana's social media posting. I think the games like that are were like are what gave Inter Miami uh hope that that 442 diamond could work but without those two natural nines without those two natural strikers you know again i, I think that's why you saw phil neville go away from it you know just just from a pure football standpoint i'll reiterate you know the functioning of the team el funcionamiento the easiest change is to just okay campana's out we bring somebody else in and that player has to you know play to his strengths, but fulfill a similar role and with similar responsibilities. And that's what we've played or planned for all week. So let's let's see if that works against CF Montreal. But they didn't. They went away from it, which means Campana became, Campana cannot Campana cannot be replaced. Campana cannot yeah, be replaced became, in that in that system with what Phil Neville wants from those two forwards. And if you listen, Jose, we watched the game against Austin FC. Campana was very, very involved. Yeah. And if you don't have a forward that can be very, very involved, then you're losing a whole lot playing that 4-4-2 time. And you're taking a massive risk. So I think it's smart of Phil Neville if, based on what he's seeing, they don't have the the, the player or the piece or the weapon to replace Campana, then you've got to go away from the 4-4-2 diamond for now. Yeah, but, you know, I think it, it depends also on, on who you're facing. Because, you know, if you, there are, there will be times in the season where you're we're just you're just facing a better team and it might be serviceable for you to have Adi Lasseter per se in, in his space and try to take advantage of a uh a counterattack. But then but then you you're know, not playing that but that four four two diamond is built on combinations and, and trying to possess the ball. That's what they've talked about. They've wanted to possess the right. ball in the four. But if you have Ari Lasseter, Ari Lasseter is not necessarily not necessarily a possession player. You just said it yourself. He's you know you look for a counterattack. But then is the right. 442 yeah. diamond best suited for counterattacking football? Not necessarily. So. If you have a back and forth game, it could work. It could work. If you know, it, it all depends on what, what the coaching staff is thinking, you know, how they analyze the opponent. Um, obviously they have all the tools that we don't. We only have the games to watch. They have much more. Um, so I, I think it depends on the opponent. I think I would agree with you that it would be wise for him to be a little bit more cautious and, and keep the 4-2-3-1, especially after you were able to win the first game and maybe change within the game if it's not working, you know, which is something that we have seen from Phil um, throughout the last uh, two seasons. So um, I think they have enough. I think they have enough to be competitive, but it is concerning um, 
if that's the case that you know Campana is not available and then you, you just have to stay away from from the formation that you really liked and that you really wanted this team to play I got to th I could see them playing 4-4-2 with Campana and somebody else before I see them playing a 4-4-2 with Joseph Martinez and somebody else at least especially right, now. right now especially right yeah, now yeah right now especially yeah, right yeah, now yeah, yeah. especially right now futbolísticamente it just I, I think they lose a lot without Campana So, uh, but let's let's leave it there with regards to that topic. Let's dive into this past weekend's game because we've scratched the surface and mentioned it here and there, but we haven't dove in or dived in completely. Inter Miami held its season opener on Saturday at Drive Pink Stadium. Ended up being a pretty packed house. Over 17,000 was the announced attendance. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, but Inter Miami on the field won the game 2-0 against CF Montreal. Goals from Sergei Kristoff and Schneider Borgelin. Goals came in the 41st minute and then in the 76th minute. So Inter Miami wins via a clean sheet. Drake Callender was very involved in this game. We'll dive into his performance in a little bit. This was the Inter Miami starting lineup. They came out in a 4-2-3-1 formation, as we've just mentioned a few moments ago. This, this was the 11. Drake Callender in goal, DeAndre Yedlin, Sergi Kristoff, Christopher McVeigh, and Franco Negri from right to left. That was your back line. Your first line of the midfield were Gregory and Jean Mota. The second line of the midfield comprised of Corantin Cocojan, Nicolas Stefanelli, Rodolfo Pizarro, and up top was Joseph Martinez. Andrea, you've been quiet for a while, so I will go to you here. What were your thoughts on the game? You seeing it from field level as opposed to Jose and I seeing it up in the press box. What were your thoughts on the match? Listen, I thought in the beginning Inter Miami looked good. The first 25 minutes of the first half were very good. They kept the ball. They dominated in the middle. I guess that was an advantage of this formation that Phil had for this team. The problem is at the top. Um, Joseph Martinez is not uh, himself his best self physically I don't think he's there I don't think he was there to start this game to tell you the truth um, I wouldn't have started it and um, started him because I didn't like what I saw from Joseph Martinez um, I like what I saw from the midfield players I like what I saw from Gregory from Mota from Pizarro from Corentin John and from Stefanelli I think those players make Inter Miami play better have the ball Uh, play with the first touch and dominate the midfield as they did against um, Montreal those first uh, 25 minutes. Um, then they began losing the ball. Montreal began coming back, getting chances, and that's when uh, uh, Calender began having his good game after he almost made a mistake against uh, Montreal's forward. But Inter Miami took advantage of a set piece I think that was a Set big pieces. step. It was a big step for them because they they couldn't find the goal with Joseph Martinez or any of the other players because they had a lot of shots but not not a lot of shots on target. Uh, but I think the first goal from that set piece and uh, that scramble that was there because it was not a perfect set piece. Everyone is talking about set piece goal. It was not a perfect play, but the ball went in and that was. That is what mattered. So that was important for them, getting that goal before before the half was done. 
Then we saw when Stefanelli came out and asked for for a for a substitution. I like how Duke came in. I like how Duke plays with Pizarro. I like how Duke plays with uh, Gregory and Mota. I really like. I really like Duke as a player. I think if he gets more chances, if he can keep building up this relationship, it's easy for him to come in and, and to play with, with those type of players. I also want to mention Corentin uh, uh, Jean. I think that um, after not seeing him last season, I think he's, the, the games that I've seen from him ha have been good. He has a lot of promise and he can, can add a lot for this team. Also, I want to, to, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, you could tell. You could tell Andrea. You could tell Andrea was like, uh, you know, toughing it out there, not having much to say or not not being given the mic because now she's not stopping, brother. Now she's not stopping. And then I want to talk about negative because I really like his play. He's very physical player. I really like how he combined with Pizarro on the left side. Um, I was talking with Jose later that I don't know if that's Pizarro's best position on the field on that left side but he really did good with Negri so I like those combinations I especially like those especially those five players Mota, Jim um, uh, Mota, Gregore, Stefanelli, Pizarro and Corentangia um, so I think they did good especially that first half. Andrea just gave us her full analysis like just just let it rip you know I said your overall <laughs> thoughts and she just gave us everything all right thank you Andrea. Uh, Jose quickly now your thoughts on the game, your takeaways from the game. We'll dive into the individual performances in a little bit more detail here. Andrea, uh, Jose, what do you think? Uh, what were your thoughts on the game? I think it was pretty even early on. You know, I think there wasn't a lot of excitement on, um, on both sides, but it was pretty even. And then, you know, the the goal by uh, Christoph practically opens things up for Inter Miami, puts pressure as well on, on, on Montreal. Um, Trey Callender, without a doubt, is the man of the match, regardless of you know what the teams the team announces after the game. Um, I think he's the man of the match. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you know, big mistake early on, but he's able able to come back with the save as well. Right. So you know, those are the two key moments within the game. And um, you know, I think it's it's a process for for Montreal. I think you know you're just getting started with Hernando Sala, and they'll probably get better. But this first game was not very good at all for the Canadian side. So um, kudos to Inter Miami. They took advantage. They were at home. They needed to win at home regardless of, you know, situation with injuries or how the other team is doing. They just need to win at home, and they did it. CF Montreal was one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference last year. But much has changed for that team going into this season, right? They changed head coach. They lost several of their top players. So this is a different CF Montreal team. And... I will side more with Jose here in terms of my analysis of the game. The first half was very even and not much to talk about overall up until the goal. The only thing that happened before the goal was Drake Callender's erroneous pass out of the back that was uh, intercepted or picked off high up the field. CF Montreal... Uh, you know, translated that into a good-looking chance on goal. But Drake Callender, like you mentioned, Jose, was able to make amends and thwart the danger and made a very good save to keep the game scoreless there. Until the goal in the 41st minute, that was all that really happened in that first half. It was a pretty even affair, a cagey affair, not a whole lot to talk about in terms of uh, both goalkeepers having to, to be called upon to make saves. But, like Andrea mentioned earlier when she was talking about a different topic, progress. 
progress. Inter Miami scores off a set piece. And this is why I've banged that drum and hammered this point home for so many years. Because there's games that happen that are like this. Where from the run of play, you just... It's not clicking. It's not working. You're not creating anything. You're not testing the opposing goalkeeper. Games like this is when you need to take advantage of your set pieces. Because that can help open up a game for you. That can help give you a lead. That can help give you a win and three points. And that's what it did for Inter Miami here because Gene Mota in that 41st minute to the front post it's Gregory that flicks it on with a backwards header and then both Christopher McVeigh and Sergi Kristoff were there at the back post Kristoff he just bundles it forward he gets it essentially off his thigh and just like guides it home he didn't really make uh contact in terms of making a, a kicking motion or anything he just kind of directed it into the net from close range and that's all it needed that's all inner Miami needed there then in the second half you know it, it CF Montreal had some chances. There's a very, very good one. I can't remember what minute it's in, but uh, one of the players gets slipped in behind Christopher McVeigh. They've got a wide open look uh, against Drake Callender, and Drake Callender, you know, sticks out his right leg, gets big, makes the save, keeps Inter Miami in front. And I, th- I believe that was on a sequence that happened shortly after Bryce Duke lost the ball uh, higher up the field. Now, Schneider Borgelin. Comes in, he scores in the 76th minute, a dream MLS debut for him. For me, Inter-Miami did what we say in Spanish. Pegaron cuando tenían que pegar. They hit on the attacking end in the moments that they had to. And that was enough. And that's what I said was the key to the game, Jose, if you remember last week. I said, Inter-Miami, because I think I believe you said they want, you thought they needed to score early. I said, I think they need to be efficient with their chances. And the clear-cut chances that they had... They were efficient on those, and that was enough. Because on the defensive side, they were well-organized. I mean, they, they gave up some chances. I won't say they didn't give up chances. But, you know, again, in that first half, there wasn't much going on either way. Second half, okay, CF Montreal got a, got a few more chances from the run of play, but Callender was, was stood tall uh, and was very, very big back there. Both he and Kristoff made it to the MLS team of the week, or whatever it's being called now, but they were both on there, and deservedly so. So, for me, Drake Callender, like you said, Man of the match, star of the show. But Inter-Miami defensively, organized for the most part. You know, they managed the game well in that part. I thought Phil Neville did a good good job at that. And Inter-Miami, on the attacking end, did what they had to do in the moments they had to do it. That's it. It's not the prettiest win, but it's a win. First time in franchise history that they've won in week one. You take that, move on to week two against the Philadelphia Union. Jose, you know, and Andrea, both of you. We're diving into Drake Callender here. He put a Honduran in his pocket in this one. After Inter-Miami scored in that 41st minute, Romel Kyoto has a very good opportunity to tie the game. Uh, with a cross at the back post, he's open, and he fails to put it away. Callender makes the save. Jose, you told me in the press box, there was a lot of time left. Kyoto was scoring. That never happened. Jose, do you agree with me that Drake Callender owned Romel Kyoto on Saturday. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> of course, I mean, that, of course. That's not that that the Romel Kyoto that that we saw over the weekend. It's not even close to to his full potential, and you should know that. I mean, it's you have seen him score in MLS. Well, so, I'm not saying uh, Romel Kyoto is terrible. I'm I, saying the Drake Calendar owned Kyoto on Saturday. That's no, the question. I think I think we need to see them both playing at a, a, a the same level at least the way that Kyoto play let me tell you it's very concerning for me as a Honduran especially with the Nations League coming up 
that is very concerning the way he played over the weekend. So I did expect a lot more from him, but you know, I think I, I, I need to realize that, you know, it's not the same team as last year and that's why probably he's not going to have a good a year. So no, I mean, give credit to, to Drake. I mean, he's the man of the match. We should have our own man of the match table, Absolutely. by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. we, should do we, we should call man of the match just to be fair with the players because, you know, commercially I understand what the team is trying to do. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think Drake Anders is a good goalkeeper, very good starter of the season. But Kyoto, I mean, it, it's, it's not a, a good game to measure both of them. I don't disagree with you in terms that we should have our own thing. And, you know, you've jokingly called me Drake Callender's agent in the past. Uh, and, you know, even during the game, it's not because I'm here to, you know, promote the player. But I already knew that Inter Miami was probably not going to give it to him just because, you know, it's MLS and they tend to go for the goal scorers um, or someone that scored. And it was Sergi's first game. So I, I didn't think... They were going to give the man of the match award to Drake Calendar. Although, from just the pure analysis standpoint, I think Drake Calendar absolutely deserved it. So, during the game, I tweeted, Inter Miami has scored a couple of goals, or Inter Miami has scored, but they don't have this lead without Drake Calendar because he was massive. He was immense. He had more interventions than Sergi Kristoff. Big interventions. Who decides the match? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Who and you know, that's a good question. That's a good question. Especially those chances he got against Kyoto. Um, I think Drake did really good. In, in those chances and listen he recovered really good when he messed it up and kudos to him because it's not easy for a goalkeeper to do that after that mistake that he had he he saved that mistake and then he he came and had the game that he had um i agree with jose also kyoto you know he's my favorite mls player um but after Dre calendar <laughs> yeah <laughs> after Pizarro, after Pizarro, i'm gonna keep it up because uh, I'm going to thank everyone who is sending messages to Franco defending me. Thank you very much, my Miami Total Football Radio listeners, because <laughs> Franco was trying to bully me because bully? of my opinion. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 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 but thanks, guys. But, you know, Romel Kyoto, in all seriousness, uh, he didn't have a great game. Montreal didn't have a good game. Uh, what I noticed is that uh, Christo, uh, Sergei was really on to Romel Kyoto. Drake Callender was really on to Romel Kyoto. So I guess the video analysis uh, really helped them because uh, I noticed that from the field. Uh, Sergei never let Romel Kyoto be alone, to tell you the truth. Every time that Kyoto was in, in the area, Sergei was on top of him. Every um, set piece, every uh, corner kick, he was there. And Montreal even tried putting Kyoto through through one of the bands, and that didn't work. So Inter Miami read it good. Kudos to them. I think they 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 read really good this game, especially um, neutralizing Montreal's attacking players, especially Kyoto. So we'll dive into Kristoff's performance in a bit because I do think he was also up there in terms of performance levels. But Drake Calendar, look, and to be to give a fair and balanced assessment. He continues to struggle with his feet. Continues to struggle. You know, we saw it towards the end of last season. Uh, then we saw it in preseason this year, especially in that game against St. Louis City. We saw it against Austin FC as well. There was like four sequences in a row in the second half, if I'm not mistaken, Jose. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Where Calendar just kept uh, botching either, you know, kicks up the field or passes. There's like four sequences in a row. And then early on in this one, 
Again, uh, a bad pass out of the back. So, again, with his feet, he's not exuding a whole lot of confidence if you're watching from the outside. But when it comes to doing his primary job, which is stopping shots, he's, he was remarkable in this one. Remarkable. Remarkable. And, you know, I, I, I'm glad he was given his credit. I, you know, when he didn't get named man of the match by Inter-Miami, I was like, mm, maybe MLS will overlook him as well for team of the week. But they didn't. He's on there. So him and Christoph made it. So kudos to Drake Callender. Massive performance uh, on week one and, and a key ingredient to Inter-Miami coming out with three points in this one. Now, Christoph, you've already touched on him, Andrea. So Jose, what do you think about his game back there defensively? And then, of course, also providing the game-winning goal on that set piece. Well, I'm going to be honest here. My expectation about Christoph is very high. It's very high. So what we saw during the weekend is what I expect from him. That is the least that I expect from him every single game. He comes from the highest level. He needs to be a difference maker. So this type of performance, that's exactly what Inter Miami needs from him. And at least what I will be expecting from him. Anything less, I would consider a bad game. It might not be the same for some of the other uh, center backs in the team because, I mean, McVeigh is good, but he's not at his level. Sailor Mavica, very young. So I can allow mistakes from them, but not from his caliber of players. So I'm just going to say good performance, what we expected from him. I thought he was very good. Very good. Uh, not as you know, he wasn't as called upon to make such as big plays as Calendar was. Maybe that's due to his just sturdy uh, fundamentals and positional play. But he was very good back there, and also delivers the game winner. So when you do that, you know you keep the your your opponents or the attackers in check, and you score the game winner. I mean, what more can you ask for from from a central defender? So uh, a very good official Inter Miami debut for the Ukrainian. If that is the type of player Inter Miami is going to get consistently over the course of this season, then they've got a very good center back back there. It's an, a, a very good addition for Inter Miami. Press conference might need a little bit of work. He's very serious, right? Very serious. You know, like uh, no nonsense type of person as he is a player, right? Like kind of just straightforward. Um, he did laugh a little bit. I think it's the first time I've seen him smile or really crack a smile, like genuinely. Uh, it was right before the press conference began. I forgot what happened. He sat in this new inner Miami like gaming chair that they're bringing it out in the press conference now, and I don't know if like he like that is for Apple TV Studio. So, so but I don't. He sat down in it, and like I don't know if he like if the chair moved or it fell a little bit or if, you know I don't I don't I don't remember exactly what happened. I just know that something like a little comical happened, and he saw me catch it. And he looked at me and laughed. And I think you can catch it on Miami Total Football's YouTube page if you watch the press conference. You'll see at the very beginning, he cracks a, a pretty big smile just because like something weird or awkward happens with the chair and, and, I, and I caught it. Um, and we just like had a, had a quick little exchange there. So, uh, But no, but yes, uh, again, deserved to be on Team of the Week as well based on the performance levels he delivered. Those two were the best Inter-Miami players for me on the night. I know some people uh, thought Pizarro had a very good game. I don't know if I'm, I'm in that boat of him having a very good game, but solid, solid overall uh, from him and solid for from the team. Let's go to Schneider Borgelin. Comes into the game, scores a goal. 
his first in MLS. He mentioned after the game when we spoke to him that, you know, he cried a little bit, which you can see in some of the pictures and in his post-game, uh, or excuse me, post, uh, or not post, his goal-scoring celebration. You know, he covers his face a little bit, said he, you know, he thought about his dad, and um, his dad is, is still alive, by the way. He just thought of his dad, who's, who's been a, an instrumental uh, person and a, and a key figure in him getting to this point in his career. So, uh, Jose, back to you. Your thoughts on Borgelin's MLS debut with the MLS goal that put the game on ice. I think he's a promising player. You know, I think we all need to see a little bit more. But, you know, what we saw in his in his first game in MLS, aside from the goal, which, you know, it's a little bit lucky, I think, you know, he missed an opportunity really and gets a second chance. And I think he even acknowledged that in the interview right. after the game. So um, I think we need to see more, but I think, you know, we, we can see some, some of that, you know, typical Caribbean uh, player, fast, strong, always active. It's definitely looking- strong. Right. Every single ball around him. I think he's fast to react as well. You know, the way when when the ball is close to him, um, I, I think, you know, he has good instincts. So um, we need to see more of him. And um, hopefully, you know, what we saw in the second half with Phil trusting some of the young guys coming in. I think if, if we continue to see that, you know, uh, a few years from now, some of those guys, you know, might become regular starters for this team. So... Uh, without a doubt, Borgelin off to a good start. You know, we'll see if he can keep it up. At this level, you know, when you play the first division, it's about consistency, and that's the next step for him. I liked what I saw. I uh, continue to like what I see. He's a very, very big striker. Um, not scared to throw his body around. Not scared to get physical or into challenges with the with the big uh, center backs that he's up against, which, listen, you could say at his height that that, that, that should be, you know, a given. But not necessarily. I've seen tall strikers throughout my time uh, who don't play up to their height or up to their size. Kenny Cooper was one. He did not play up to his size. Um, you know, and it was a talking point from the coaching staff at the New York Red Bulls. They wanted him to play bigger because he had a very big frame, but he just didn't use it in that way. Even Campana last year to start, you know, if Phil Neville in a few press conferences said that they wanted him to, to you know, use his body a little bit more. And then I think we saw that over the course of last season that Campana started uh, being more comfortable getting into, you know, into more challenges, physical challenges, getting, you know, making contact with the, with the center backs. So, uh, Borgelin's definitely that type of player. He definitely puts in the dirty work defensively as well. Uh, I like what I saw. I agree with you. The goal, as memorable as it is, as you know how it marked the dream MLS debut for him, it was a bit lucky. Not a bit lucky. It was lucky because he flubs his chance at it, right? Like L- Lasseter takes a shot on the half turn at the near post it, and it clings off, uh, off that post and it falls to Borgelin in the center of the penalty area. He's got the whole goal at his frame. And he just doesn't get enough behind his initial shot. He doesn't get enough behind the attempt. Uh, and I believe it's Samuel Piet that gets the clearance off the goal line. But it's a terrible clearance because he gets nothing behind it himself. And rather than smashing it up the field to safety, he just essentially passes it back to Borgelin. And then Borgelin has a second attempt at it. Doesn't make a whole lot of great contact either, but places it just far enough where Piet can't get to it again. And it's uh, 2-0 for Inter-Miami. And that does it. That puts the nail in the coffin uh, in the Canadian side. So fortunate to get the goal, but nonetheless, can't take it away from him. Dream 
MLS debut something he even said after the game when, when we, I asked him and he said yeah definitely absolutely so um, kudos to him definitely something that will boost his confidence and help him uh, as he will likely get more minutes in the coming weeks especially given that Campana is likely to be out all right so we'll switch gears I'll say this and I said this before but I'll, I'll, I want to reemphasize it I think Phil Neville did a good job of managing the game especially in the second half Jose did not agree with me in the moment in the press box. I don't know if his opinion has changed since rewatching the game or thinking about it a little bit more. But I thought Phil Noble did a good job of managing the game in the second half. Yes, Inter Miami still needed Drake Calendar to make some good saves. But Inter Miami overall wasn't overly, overly being challenged from the run of play. Not until later on in the second half, anyway. So I thought Phil Noble did a good job uh, of managing it. Okay, Inter Miami will stay in South Florida. They will host another Eastern Conference side in the Philadelphia Union on Saturday at Drive Pink Stadium. Now, like Inter-Miami, the Philadelphia Union won their season opener 4-1 against the Columbus Crew. So a pretty emphatic, pretty impressive win. It was at home. This will be their first road test uh, for the season. In South Florida, in the, in the, well, I don't know if it's overly hot and humid right now, but in South Florida nonetheless. Julian Carranza, the former Inter-Miami striker, scored two goals for the Philadelphia Union in that game against Columbus. Jose, and then I'll go to, back, I'll go to Andrea. What kind of game do you expect for Inter-Miami this weekend? Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because it, it's all going to come down to, you know, the style that the coaching staff want, wants to play over the weekend. My expectation would be, you know, they, they start with the 4-2-3-1, and that means they're going to go for possession. But um, if they concede, they, they might try to diamond at some point. Um, I think they need uh, to dictate the tempo of the game without a doubt. You know, if they don't have possession and if, you know, uh, the union um, uh, continue to uh, get into that, you know, system that has been so effective for them uh, in in the last two years, I think, I think they're going to be in trouble. So, you know, they they need to play at a pace that favors Inter-Miami and keep the ball away from from Philadelphia. I, I think this is a tough game for them. I think, you know, with no campana, especially in, in Joseph Martinez, with not being 100%, I think for them to win this game, they have to score at least two goals. And I don't know if that can happen. Andrea, your thoughts on this weekend's match? I agree. I agree with what Jose said. I think it's going to be up to this game, uh, up to the midfield, if they can keep possession if they can keep um, creating plays having the ball it's going to be difficult against a team like Philadelphia that's already established has a form of play especially because what we have been talking about that we think that they're going to change their formation because uh, of Campana's injury so it's going to be hard for them this game is going to be hard Um, it's going to be tough for them uh, to to manage, especially because we don't know what type of formation he's going, Phil is going to use, but against a team like Philadelphia is going to be hard, especially after watching that game against Columbus. They look really good. Uh, they look really dangerous. And listen, um, they seem oiled already. Like Philadelphia seems ready. Like 
for them well to teach oiled. them well oiled, right? well like, oiled yeah. yes yeah. well oiled they know they if you see the goals they know how to find Julian Carranza uh, he knows how to find his teammates also I think they're if not I have said it that last year that I thought they were uh, the best team in the league. I think this year they continue to be the best team, at least in in football, in football inside, in in football. All, not always the one that plays the best football wins, but for me they are. So it's gonna be hard for Inter Miami, especially without Campana, especially without having that idea, and especially without having that player. Um, to score goals. I don't think Joseph is that, that player in this moment. I don't think Ari is that player because Ari is not a nine. Um, so it's going to be hard for Inter Miami. This game is going to be hard. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of formation Phil comes up with to play with, with Philadelphia. For me, I don't think he's going back to the diamond, especially for this game. He should continue to play um, with as many people in the midfield as he can. So there's a couple things I want to touch on that you guys have already discussed, but it's that, listen, the Philadelphia Union are one of the top teams in the league. They have been uh, for, for a few seasons now, a couple seasons now. Last year, they finished as subcampeón de la MLS. They finished as MLS Cup runners-up. And they only finished as MLS Cup runners-up because of a Gareth Bale golazo at the end of, was it extra time? That forced, yeah. that forced penalty kicks, and then they lost on penalty kicks, right? So they were seconds away from being MLS Cup champions. Their roster has stayed almost entirely intact. They've added some interesting pieces. Damian Lowe, the former Inter-Miami center back, being one of them. He's not a starter on this team, but he is a, a depth piece for them. But that lineup and that group has by and large remained the same with the same head coach, Jim Curtin, and they've you know been playing under him for several seasons now. They are a well-oiled machine. It's you know week one of the MLS season, and they looked like it was week 15 because that's how, how good they looked in that game against the Columbus Crew in moments. And now, like you guys said, this is a very big test for Inter-Miami at home against one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference that knows uh, the the patterns of play that they like. They know what the coach wants out of them. They know the uh, automatismo, the, the automatisms, which is just, again, patterns of play. So they've already gotten all that down. This is a big, big game uh, in terms of the matchup for Inter Miami. And this is my key to the game. And I'm going to ask you for yours next before we round out this segment. Something you both touched on. I don't, I don't know if you think it's the key to the game or not, but I do. I gave Phil Neville praise for how I think he managed the game. I think... His game plan and his lineup is the key to the game in this one. If he gets any of that wrong, Inter Miami's probably not coming away with anything from this one. He's going to have to be very strategic, very uh, meticulous in terms of how they go about this game plan. Because without Campana and knowing how good the Philadelphia Union are, how do you counteract that? How do you react to that? That's going to be Phil Neville's job this week. That's going to be uh, a big challenge for him. If he gets it right and they get something out of this, then you know Phil Neville deserves his props yet again because I think that's the m- most important element of this game. How do you neutralize Philadelphia and how do you get the most out of the players you do have in the formation you go with? We've talked about the limitations that Miami has in certain positions and certain players right now because of where they are physically. It's Phil Neville's job to try to make the most out of what he does have at his disposal. 
Jose, your key to the game. Well, my key to the game is for them to have something to work with in the first 60 minutes. Because I think, you know, that's the limit for key players um, within the starting lineup. Talking about Joseph Martinez and Stefanelli. I think both of them are not ready. Although, you know, the performance from Stefanelli was so good that we probably didn't mention the, the that before. But it's a similar scenario with Joseph. You know, they're just not ready for the full 90 minutes. So they need to have something to work with in, in the first 60 minutes. And then I'll add something that, you know, we saw in the first game and, and it's set pieces. I think they need to find a way to take advantage. And that's the only way that I can see them winning this game or at least getting a point. Because at this point, I believe, you know, both teams are far apart. And and Philadelphia is a, a much, much better team than Inter-Miami. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising if Philadelphia gets three points over the weekend. Andrea, your key to the game. For me, the key to the game is uh, having the ball, having possession, having having the ball at their feet, not letting Philadelphia take the ball and take control of the game and getting bottled, bottled in, uh, letting Philadelphia have... Uh, many chances they cannot do that after when we were talking about the game with montreal after the the first 25 minutes inter miami like settled down and slowed down and permitted montreal to get into it and they had their chances they had a goal call outside also they cannot let philadelphia do that they have to be concentrated the first 45 minutes and if you get a tie in the first 45 minutes then you can think about in the second half making some changes adding a little bit more firepower like we saw with Duke, with Schneider, with the players like Ari Lassiter and the players that you have available and maybe get uh, a point. But for me, the first half is crucial. If you let a team like Philadelphia get the ball, they're going to score on you. So they have to not let them get possession. They have to keep the ball and keep them from bottling them. So if Inter Miami has to rely on Drake Calder to put up a performance like he did against Romel Kioto and CF Montreal, you don't think Inter Miami has has the chance to win this one? I don't. I, I agree with Drake, you. I agree with you. I don't think that they. If you if you're calling Drake upon Drake not, to make that, yeah. yeah, it's it's because uh, right now Philadelphia has more dangerous players than what Montreal had because we saw right. Kioto and we saw one one or two other chances from other players, but Montreal didn't have the firepower that they had last year. Philadelphia does. So that's a problem. And the problem with Philadelphia also is that they are good from uh, from uh, tiro afuera del area, like from out of the, Shots of the from area. Distance. Shots from distance, yeah, outside the penalty area. Exactly. So that that is very dangerous with them because they, they have good shot takers also. Not only the forwards, but the midfielders have scored a lot of goals in in, in this Jim Curtin times from, from out of the area. So that's going to be difficult for Inter-Miami. And you know Juli Carranz is going to be ready to go. Yes, of course. Yeah. So it's got la ley de Lex. I didn't want to say it, but the ley de, uh, Inter Miami has the double the curse because they have two players that play with Inter Miami. And Andrea Damian just mentioned Lowe might not play. Yeah, Damian Lowe might not play, but he's going to be an assistant coach for Jim Curtin over the week. That's for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yes. So Andrea just said la ley del ex, which translates to the law of the ex, which is a term in Spanish when it comes to to football. And that's usually that, you know, when you go up against an ex-player, they tend to make an impact, usually with a goal, maybe an assist, you know, usually involved in a positive way. So we'll see if la ley del ex comes to fruition, if we see the latest example of it on Saturday. Uh, quickly, quickly, and then we'll wrap up the segment. Formation. What does Inter Miami go with? I say 4-2-3-1. 
Maybe we see some different personnel. Maybe we see a little bit more speed on the wings uh, to be a little bit more counter-attacking. Like maybe Ariel Lasseter. Maybe. Maybe. But I say 4-2-3-1. Andrea, what formation? Same. For me, the same. Jose. And I agree with you that we could see Ari coming in. Jose. Uh, the same. Same lineup. I don't think I don't think we we see a change. You know, equipo que gana no se cambia. So yeah, same. Team that wins, you don't change. Well, that's the rough translation of it. Okay, all right, we'll leave it there. Uh, we still have a couple of topics to touch on. We'll do the Q and A session and we'll give our final thoughts. We'll do all that after a quick break and we'll get to that after this. <laughs> So before we get to the Q&A session, very quickly, a couple things that uh, happened since we last recorded, and that's that Karen Gibbs' new role has been established or identified or announced. He is no longer an Inter-Miami player. He is now going to be doing studio hosting with Chris Winningham for Inter-Miami's show uh, that you'll be able to see on Apple TV. Very quickly, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because we talk, touched on it last week. What are your thoughts? Because to me, this is, you know, they didn't use the word retirement, and and from what I understand, they're, they're steering clear of using that word retirement because Kieran Gibbs might be able to play next year um, again, but I think, you know, if you're not an active player, you're retired. And I think he is retired. He's all but retired. I don't see him after taking a year away from playing Getting back he's probably it. looking for options. He's probably looking for options. If he finds one, then he's not retired. If he doesn't, then that's it. He's you not. Know, a, he's I, not an active player, Jose. He's not an active player today. Right now, he's no, not an active I mean, player. Yeah, but I mean, he can find an option some some someplace else. I mean, you never know. He might go to China. He might go some somewhere else to play. He finds a contract. Somebody that wants him wants to take him in. Then he continues to play. If not, then you know. He'll move on. I mean, it's very easy to just, you know, have, <laughs> kudos, to, kudos um, to Inter Miami, though. Kudos to Chris Henderson for once again finding some creative way to part ways with the player and yet still pay him, right? Because they're still paying him. I don't think he's doing this labor of love in the studio host analysis role that he's in for free. So, yeah, that was <laughs> like an arrangement. Like, oh, of course, just like Blaze Matweedy. <laughs> Blaze Matweedy was an ambassador now. You know, Kieran Gibbs is a studio host analysis, whatever, you know, the, the label you want to give him there. But it's definitely some creative way to get out of these deals while also still paying them, although paying them off the... I mean, it's definitely some uh, gray area that Inter-Miami is stepping into there. I mean, they're not breaking any rules as far as we know, but it's definitely some gray area that they... We uh, hope so, like that means... No, no, no. Chris <laughs> Henderson, I don't see Chris Henderson doing that. I don't see Chris Henderson... I see Chris Henderson being a master of the arts and knowing what they can and can't do. And while this is a shade of gray, I think, you know, it's it's within rules and or within they're not breaking any rules. But clearly, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take it doesn't take a whole lot to see the inter Miami again. You know, it's getting creative there. Um, one more thing. Cole Jensen, the MLS draft pick, the first round draft pick from this year's draft. Sorry for the redundancy. He was signed to a deal. Now, that gives Inter-Miami four goalkeepers to the first team, which is interesting to me. That raises an eyebrow to me. What is, is somebody going to be on the move at some point this year? 
I don't think Inter Miami needs four goalkeepers on the first team. I think that's a bit curious. So something to keep an eye on. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add there. If not, Q&A time. Now, Inter Miami 2 player. Welcome to MLS Next Pro. But why not sign him to a second team deal? Why sign him to a first team deal? Well, because he doesn't, since he comes from the draft. What we should really be mentioning here is a quick reminder that the MLS draft means absolutely nothing. Because yeah. up until this point, the number one draft pick is getting signed. So, you know, something needs to change about the draft. It's not fair to these kids. But, okay, that's about it. Eh, I won't dive into debating that, but I don't agree. Anyway, uh, all right, Q&A time. We'll tackle a couple here. All right, let's go with Joseph E. He asks, hey, guys, question. Have you guys read the athletic article of the anonymous GM survey? Would love to know your thoughts. So there's a lot to the dissect there, uh, Joseph. There's a lot to dive into. I will dive into the most pertinent part of that article relating to Miami Total Football Radio. And that's that out of the general managers that were anonymously surveyed on a number of topics in this story on The Athletic. If you haven't checked it out, you know, go check it out if you have uh, an account. They were asked if they think Lionel Messi comes this season to MLS and to Inter Miami. And more said yes than said no. Now, there were, I believe, four or five that said no answer and they skipped the question. But more people thought, yes, he's coming. A handful thought he was coming this season. A handful thought he's coming eventually. And then a few said they don't think he's coming. I thought that was very interesting that within MLS circles, there's the belief like he us on the press side that he that he is coming. I know Andrea said no. Jose and I think yes. It seems like people believe that Inter Miami has a real good shot at this. So that's that's the that's what I would say there. Uh, Jose, you get the next question. Don Cafecito okay. asks, "Who's the resident DJ in the locker room? Heard some '90s hip hop in the background when you interviewed the players." Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, but I want oh. add a track. I need Addy Lassiter to get back with the music. I really like what yes. I heard last year. This time around, not so much. So Addy, I think I think he's the DJ. I still think he's the DJ. Like so, I'll answer the no, question. I think no, the there DJ. was no Spanish song, so it was not Addy. Uh, oh, good. If if he was the DJ this uh, last weekend, would be hitting Shakira and Carol G, man. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> I've heard I've heard them play hip hop. Uh, last no, season. he likes hip hip hop. Yes, of course. But Everybody likes hip hop. What I'm saying is that he didn't play, and he it's not him because he didn't play any song in Spanish. Mm, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, you have your moments, you have your moods. Not not always this. I mean, listen, I'm always like you've noted on this podcast, Andrea. I always listen to reggaeton, so I'm always down for a reggaeton playlist. Once in a while, I'll play some hip hop, some some house, a little bit of other stuff, pop, um, salsa, merengue, bachata. But like most of my plays is is Reggaeton. That does not necessarily mean that's Ari Lasseter's playlist or his mood or how he operates. I think he's still the DJ. I could be wrong. We'll find out. We will ask this week just for, for you guys, especially you, Don Cafecito. But I still think it's Ari Lasseter. I think he was still the DJ this past weekend. That's just my supposition, my sensation. We need to get Pizarro back on DJing skills. He, he was he ever to, DJ? You, you remember when he... We were waiting for the uh, for the press conference, and La Chona was blasting and Tigres del Norte to Canes de Tijuana, and we were like, "What?" 
<laughs> I, I was surprised we didn't hear some of the new Carol G in there, by the way. But anyway. Yes, maybe. that's what I think. It's not Adi. Because Adi, Adi would have Who would it be then? That... Who would it be? Who would be given the DJ privileges? Someone that's been in the locker room, right? So let's go. Who Who, who is it? Quickly. Who do you think it is then if it's not Ari Lassiter? Calendar yep, okay. or Yedlin, I think. Yedlin, okay. I could see it being yeah. Yedlin. I could see it being Yedlin. Okay. Yeah. I think it was Yedlin this okay. week. That's a good shout. That's not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout. We'll find out. Let's find out. Let's find out for the listeners uh, for next week's pod. All right. Uh, Andrea, this question is for you. Hey, hit it. Damon Sta 80. What does the panel rate the atmosphere inside the Drive Pink Stadium this past Saturday? Andrea, you're really the only one out of the three of us that can answer this, and that's because Jose and I are in the press box, and I think we have shared multiple times on this podcast. The press box is not really made for uh, the best viewing experience because it's off to the side. We're not even at midfield. One. Two, there's no open air so we can't even open like the glass we have in front of us so that blocks off a lot of the noise we can't really hear the atmosphere too much we hear some of the some of the songs being chanted and um or being sung some of the chants we can hear that come through the the glass windows in front of us that we watch the game through but it's really muted for the most part we don't really get that full electric vibrant feel that you get if you're sitting in the stands or if you're lucky enough like andrea on the field during the game so andrea you're the perfect person on this pod for this question. What did you think of the atmosphere on Saturday? Well, I think uh, La Familia, uh, the, the barras that make up La Familia, are really one of the best in MLS. Uh, they make noise. They sing all game. I really like that. But uh, um, aside from them, I also like that people went to the stadium. I saw a lot of Mexicans, a lot of Ticos, a lot of Ecuadorian guys um, following the team I, I really like that and I saw family so I really like that because that is what uh, football is about um, the disappointing thing is that the stadium was not full I could see a lot of empty seats um, and it, that's discouraging because it was the first game but hopefully that gets better uh, if the team keeps winning if the, when the season gets going and, and all of that but it was a nice ambience and uh, I'm going to tell something it really surprised me. Well, it didn't surprise me because I already knew this because I have always been on the field that the player that people love the most was Pizarro. And uh, hopefully the team notices that and takes advantage of that while he's still here because he can make them get the stadium full if they know how to manage it. So they should really take a look at what happened on Saturday and see who was the players that people were cheering on and take advantage of that diving really deep into that pizarro mvp okay all right andrea all right doubling down there i see you i see you by the way the announced attendance again at this game the season opener was seventeen thousand six hundred fifty-five. now that's announced attendance announced attendance is not necessarily actual butts in seats in the stadium uh it could be tickets dispersed i don't think it was that close to being full i do think it was mostly full uh, and I, I like the turnout overall, but it definitely wasn't sold out, and I don't think it was as close to being a sellout as Inter Miami announced it. But based on what I could see, a solid, solid turnout. Now, week one, you know, there's a lot of anticipation for it, um, so that that tends to always bring in a good crowd, or, or usually brings in a good crowd. It's the rest of the games along the way. Can you consistently get a good crowd? That's where I think you know we've got to see 
what Inter-Miami can bring. Uh, one last question, and we can answer this very quickly. We touched on it last week. Carlos Segovia, what is happening with Taylor, Robert Taylor? So very quickly, Andrea, back to you because you touched on this last week. So just, you know, what, what's happening with Robert Taylor? I know there's still some questions from uh, not only Carlos Segovia, but other people out there wondering where, where he's at. Robert Taylor, um, according to Phil, uh, what Phil announced, Robert Taylor is getting his dream card, his documentation ready. Uh, he went back to Finland to get it done. So he's expected to get his green card and become uh, not an international player. So Inter Miami will get another international player spot to add someone to the roster if they wish. But he'll be back when that um Tramite, I don't know how to say it in English. I blanked out. Uh, it does. <laughs> when that paper, when that paperwork, paper, that process, paper that process it gets is, done, yeah. he'll be back. Yes, and he'll be back with his green card, so he will not get an international spot anymore. All right. So that does it for the Q and A session. Didn't get to some of them, but you know that's the name of the game. We'll we'll tackle more from different people next week. So keep on submitting those questions. We enjoy them. Um, and they definitely get us uh, thinking and challenge us a good bit as well. And they don't always have to be about soccer. Uh, they could be about anything. Food, pop culture, music, anything. Anything. Uh, Jose's poor taste in uh, in style. Uh, whatever you want. Whatever you want. All right. Jose's so. shirts are famous in Miami's <laughs> press. Let me say that. They're, and then they're, we- they're famous for all the wrong reasons. Okay. All right. Uh, l- let's go to the final thoughts. Uh, Jose, you go first. Uh, well, my final thought is, you know, it's on um, on the press books, actually. A couple of things, you know, we got food other than, you know, the regular sandwiches from last year, last two years, I think. Food was great, so thank you to the communications department. That was great. Please keep it up. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and <laughs> Can you tell and, the people what you had, bro? You can't just say that and then not say what we had. First, like, you can't leave that big, uh... Can't omit well, that big so important. Taste it. If I tell you that we had French fries and and chicken wings, then you know they might not know how good they were. But they were. Especially Jose the chicken. crushed chicken wings. He crushed like six before the game. He crushed another six at halftime. Jose, I think he, I think he had a to go box. Jose was crushing chicken wings <laughs> left and right. I mean, to be fair, we've had these boxed lunches, which I've always called uh, the Beckham sandwich. Um, there's like four different flavors, but they're cold sandwiches. And, you know, they're not bad, but we've just had them so often that, you know, it's gotten repetitive. So I, I agree that this was a nice change of pace, but I did not have anywhere near as many chicken wings as Jose did <laughs> on Saturday. Sorry for you. <laughs> Sorry for you. The chance. All right, and the other thing that I wanted to mention very quickly, you know, it's about Grant Wall. There was like a small memorial. This is something that happened throughout the league. So, you know, I I appreciate that because, you know, we all work in this environment and, you know, sometimes it's very easy to forget, especially on the first day of the season. So many things going on. Um, and, and I thought it was very nice from Inter-Miami and from the league as a whole not to forget about um, what Grant Wall did for the game. So that was great. Andrea, your final thoughts. I wanted to say, um, to remind people, uh, especially that um, have not got an Apple TV or couldn't afford it or were not interested, that uh, there's a deal going on that if you have T-Mobile or Metro PCS or any of the T-Mobile uh, um, affiliates that are 
from their brand, you can get it for free. If you're a client, if you have a, a, a contract with them, you can get it for free. They give you a code and you can download the app and get the whole MLS season pass for free. So if you did not get it, could not afford it, that could be a good option for every um, MLS fan, every Inter Miami fan. Uh, you could get it for free and you can enjoy the content that is available. My final thought will be on my Friday night, which... I ended up in Wynwood for a couple of reasons. A lot of reasons. I also had friends in town that were uh, high school buddies that were here for a baby shower. But long story short, long story short, two cool things happened on Friday in... Well, m multiple cool things happened, but two that I'll share. Uh, one is that I initially went to Wynwood... Uh, thinking I was going to take part in some of the pregame or the pre-first kick festivities that remind me through at some of the bars in Wynwood. And, you know, I was there and I had some, some beverages with some of the listeners and some Inter Miami fans that I see at games on a regular basis. Um, and, and that was fun. Uh, a nice little turnout at the different pubs. And it was a nice little pub crawl there with some good music on Friday night. Also as part of that, I met... And I'm not one that's, I'm not big on taking selfies with celebrities or like getting uh, starstruck or anything like that. But I met Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, which if you don't know those names, those names don't ring a bell or they sound familiar, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Those are the actors that played Walter White and Jesse Pinkman in the best show of all time that is Breaking Bad. I was able to run into them. They were also doing an event in Wynwood on Friday evening, a little bit earlier before the pub crawl. And yeah, I got I got a picture with two of the best actors uh, of TV history and two of the people that have portrayed some of the best characters of all time. When I moved to New Jersey and I was like living in a basement and I was uh, a sad kid away from his family those first initial months, I watched Breaking Bad and that helped get me through uh, my transition period to life in the Northeast, in the cold, gray, gloomy, isolated Northeast. So that was really cool. I was glad I was able to do that as well again as take part in the Inner Miami pub crawl afterwards. But all right, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for listening. We will be back again next week to recap, analyze, and dissect the Inter-Miami game versus the Philadelphia Union. We'll be back to provide you with an answer to who is Inter-Miami's DJ so far in 2023. And we'll be back with all our regular stuff as well. So for Jose Armando, for Andrea Yanis, I'm Franco Pizzo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio.